Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the two-man game here on Claims Online. I'm Bob Ramsey. That's my partner, Matt Rocchio. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, we'd like to talk a ton of basketball, in particular, St. Louis University men's basketball and the NBA. And um, But we will vary on basketball. If it's something to do with basketball, we may end up talking about it. Glad you're with us tonight. Um well, Rock, we'll start off with the Billikens, who, after a six-game winning streak, have lost back-to-back -back games against the same team, which is odd in of itself. Um, home against St. Bonaventure last Friday and then away in Olean, New York, uh, last night. Back-to-back um, -back games, some similarities, but some differences. So so let's get into that. The, um, I, it, to me despite a couple of comebacks and making it real close at the end of the game yesterday, the home game was uh, far more of a gut punch. Um, and let me go back bigger picture even before we get into that. Okay. And that is, it's an example, the Billikens lack of being able to protect the home court has really cost their resume in their rankings. You pick a ranking, Auburn, Belmont, UAB, St. Bonaventure. All really not bad losses, except they were all at home. And had you won them, they would have been a tr been terrific wins. And and not protecting the home court is confounding. Yeah, that's been bothersome. You know, you, they came back and, it, you know, it looks like they might have had a chance. And then, you know, some calls didn't go their way. But honestly, getting in that hole in that way was just very disappointing. Um, you know, the thing, the big thing that jumped out to me really in both games, uh, if, if you if you break down some numbers, 94 points out of the 151 that the Bonnies scored across those two games were scored in the paint. And I think the first half of that second game um, on, on Monday was really a really stark example of them just missing rotations consistently and, and guys were just getting easy cuts, easy, easy dribble drives into the paint. And, you know, they were just leaving some of their guys out to dry. I don't think, you know, Coro and Linson necessarily had the best game overall. But at the same time, I thought they were kind of just getting exposed by the wing defenders, just getting completely beat and, and, and some bad switches and some bad rotations. And so I thought that was bad again on Friday. But I really thought the worst situation was that that opening stretch or those opening, you know, 20 minutes against the Bonnies on Monday night when they were just terrible defensively in that first half, and it just completely took them out of the game. Well, another thing that's been a uh, an extreme weakness, not every single game, but against certain personnel that's really efficient in the pick and roll, um, we, it, it was a glaring issue against Auburn, and then we've seen it rear its ugly head a couple of other times throughout the season, uh, including against St. Bonaventure, Bonaventure, who, of course, employ the uh, multi-talented and terrific big man, Oshun Oshuniyi, and uh, they were practically unstoppable on the pick and roll. And here's my thing, and this is, what I, this is one of the first things I wanted to get into, kind of, kind of looking forward, you know, kind of looking back at these two games, which is I, I, I can live with Oshuniyi being the defensive monster that he is. Yeah. But there's I, – I think it's just a little inexplicable – that he has that kind of offensive game against the center rotation that Slew can employ. 
And so that was just disappointing across the two games. More than just the bigger th- problems, the fact that they struggled, not just the fact that they were getting beat at shots at the rim and they were failing to really uh, change a lot of shots at the rim, you know, from drivers and things like that. The fact that Franco and Linson had trouble just one-on-one against a shooting eye offensively, I thought that was a little concerning considering the way we've talked about the center rotation and how at times they've been able to lean on it. Heck, we're going to talk about the LaSalle game in a minute. Francis Sikora was dominant in that game. Martin Linson at times has been one of the most consistent players for this team. So I think it was just surprising that Oshun was able to dominate offensively in both those games, and that's kind of a problem looking forward. Yeah, and, and I think um, I got to give a guy credit. You know, you go one on one, you elect not to help. Okay, that's okay with me. You say we're going to battle. Well, there are going to be times when a, when a really good player, and some would say a great player, they're going to get their buckets, and I, I'm okay with that. But what I saw consistently on Monday little bit on Friday, but consistently on Monday was lack of recognition of what was coming and the and no adjustment made either in making the decision on whether to hedge out off the pick or to know to back off because the roll's coming or backside help on the roll. Now, if it's Oshun Oshuniyi and you're trying to stop him with a, a 6-2 guard, you're not going to be very lucky there anyway. So I think recognition from the post position um, has got to be a, a, a focus point when these kind of matchups are, are, are going to loom, and they will in the next few weeks, no question about it. Yeah, the schedule doesn't get easier, and and you certainly didn't make it any easier for yourself by losing two games. You know, now it's you know now it's kind of put up or shut up time. They they they're aware of the fact that you know they they need to be top four in the conference. To get that, you know, to to make that pathway through the conference tournament, the double buy, a much easier with that double buy. They they understand that, and they understand that if you know beyond that, you know, they're going to have to win out if they want any other kind of consideration at this point. And and that's just kind of the the, the hole they've dug themselves. But I think they're aware of it, not in a way that they're you know checking their Kempom rating in there, and you know they're like us, and they're like, oh my god, they dropped 13 spots in the net when they lost to. The, you know, the Bonnie's on Friday, not to that level, but they understand, you know, these guys know, know where the season's at and, and, and know how the conference schedule is going to break from here. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, and winning out, it'll be really, really hard. You play at Davidson, you play at Richmond, you play at Rhode Island, which does not have a good record, but they've jumped up and, and bitten a couple of teams um, that had better records along the way. So three road games, all very difficult. And um, uh, three home games you're supposed to win, but real, let's face it, you're supposed to win all your home games. And so that hasn't been the case, as we already said. So to, winning, you know, winning period is hard. Saying you got you need to win out, very, very difficult. And what they've got to do, and you were at practice today, so you tell me, these, the last couple of games have just got to be erased you got to play some sort of mind trick uh, and erase them and say, we got to be who we were in that six-game winning streak when we were killing people. Who was that team? How did we get there? Um, what are the things we did right? You know, what's funny is you had a couple things go right, but a couple things go wrong. You had Jordan Nesbitt step up and have – 
I know he technically scored another point against Harris Stowe, but I, yeah, that shouldn't have been on the schedule. I take it uh, in my mind it's off. So really, a career night against a great team, Nesbitt, was terrific. The Billikens have had few games where everybody's playing well at the same time. Sometimes that's because of the opponent and what they're trying to do defensively. So just because you want everybody to make all their shots every night, that's not necessarily realistic. But if you can have some games where everybody's clicking, I think this team is still great, uh, capable of really, really terrific basketball. Speaking of everybody clicking, one of the biggest things I talked about with Travis today at practice, because I thought this was really one of the only bright spots from Friday to Monday, was that Gibson Jimerson, I thought, looked to be much more involved, looked to be getting to his spots, looked to be, and I obviously got a lot more looks um, on Monday than he did on Friday. And I asked Travis kind of what was the genesis of that. And essentially, you're, they, bon, the Bonnies keyed so hard on Yuri on Friday that SLU kind of saw some ways that they could take the advantage of that of the of the overhedging from the Bonnies. And that got Gibson some open extra shots in the Monday matchup. And so I thought that was an interesting point in, in the way that they developed that because I think it speaks to a comment I've seen from a couple of Bills fans, which was take it away from the loss. That second half against the Bonnies is one of the best halves of basketball we've seen St. Louis play this year. It's just a bummer again, kind of like that first half against Auburn. Man, you take you, you combine those two games, they're winning the NCAA freaking tournament. Um, <laughs> so it's disappointing, but again, that that was just one aspect of. One of the silver linings I, I took from that second half against the Bonnies, because when, then when you look at the box score for the whole game, every offensive category, they bested St. Bonaventure. Uh, but 17 turnovers to five turnovers um, and six block shots to zero uh, and another three steals going the Bonnies' ways, it's just those stats are going to break the other way. But the fact that they were able to shoot over 50% from the, from, um, from the field – uh, over almost know, 60, over, almost 60, over 40% from deep. And then still we're able to hit again, 16 to 17 free throws. Um, you know, not, not the numbers they were getting early in the season, but that's the, that's the efficiency that you were, they were getting earlier in the season. So to get all those offensive numbers against the team like St. Bonaventure against a big man, like a Shuni eye, that, that was something to take away from those games. But obviously you can't overlook the fact that it's one half out of four and two losses. Yeah, and uh, one thing uh, on Gibson Jimerson, I still think there's a couple of things where he can get to the level. He, you know, he had he had a five game stretch where he averaged 25 points a game, 24.8, and I think he can still do that. I don't think it was a weird anomaly that, but I think that's the guy he can be. Um, I think he's got to sell. I, well, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to, you don't want basketball players to turn into soccer players and flop all the time, but you can sell it to let somebody know, Hey, I'm being grabbed, mm -hmm. you know, because he's got to get to the line more. And even though he, he did, he did, had a nice game um, uh, Monday night, uh, in a nice game, but I still feel like he's passing up some three point shots and it's almost as if it's a, uh, I wonder if it's almost like a shooter's yips. Instead of saying, I'm here, I'm confident, I'm going up. You can't guard me, as opposed to, I catch it, I've come off a screen, 
oh, this, this guy's, he might catch me. I'm going to give it up. And uh, so I still think, I, I still think Gibson can get back to that level where he was last month. Yeah. And my last point, just um, as we finish up to talk about the Bonaventure game is I think these two games really showed me that the offense has kind of, is, is still kind of growing and it might be starting to hit that peak, that ceiling maybe that we've been talking about where they kind of hit that point where the, the playbook has been brought out to its fullest. Everyone has kind of meshed into their new roles with Javante out and we're seeing the, the offense almost at full blow. And I think guys like Rashad Williams becoming a big part of the offense have been a big, big key. I don't, I think we haven't, I think, I think, uh, uh, we've overlooked maybe the the absence of DeAndre Jones in the, yeah. in, the in one of the Bonaventure games. Obviously, that was a big one. I think. Yeah. Um, when you looked at how that game played out and some of the the Bills made part of their run in the second half with DeAndre in there because Jury was out with foul trouble. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so the offense is clearly developing, but. There's, there's definite reason, I think, for fans to wonder what has happened to the defense over the last two weeks, especially over the last four days, um, because the space issues are coming back again. Again, the, the, the driving issues, the open pain issues are coming back again. So if, if the offense keeps trending this way, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited to see what the rest of the conference season, what the tournament's going to look like. But there has to be some big changes defensively. And unfortunately, as we kind of move into the LaSalle game, I, I know what we should see from them. And so I, I'm at, at a point where I'm just wondering, is there anything I can take away from some of these games that aren't the Davidsons or the Daytons or the St. Bonaventures that are really going to tell me huge things about this St. Louis team looking towards a potential conference tournament run? Because at this point, I don't know if they can beat the Bonnies with, with the way this defense is playing. So, you know, can they play with Davidson? We're going to find out. I just don't know if Wednesday is going to be the, the exact barometer test we're looking for. Yeah. So you play LaSalle again, you beat him. Yeah. You beat them pretty good at LaSalle. You know, they, they have, a, they have talent. Um, they have some guys They play pretty hard. Where are they mentally as a group uh, this late in the season coming into your building? Um, uh, you got to handle your business. Maybe this, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe this is a game we can get it going. And um, I don't think you want to disrespect the game and say, we'll use this as a practice game to do yeah. the things you're talking about, Rock. No. You got to focus yeah. and play these guys, but you'd like to play well enough that you can take those positive lessons and carry them onto the road against Davidson. And that, that, right? That's what you're yeah. saying? And, and, yeah, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of LaSalle. I'm just no, saying you're not. Francis Okoro had 18 points and, and dominated that game. And now Martin Linson is finally feeling really comfortable on that ankle. You saw that dunk he had. Uh, he's feeling really confident on that ankle and at this point now. He's 100%. And so – this should be a game that the St. Louis big men dominate. But my point is, is that against St. Bonaventure back-to-back games, the St. Louis big men failed to do that. And so if they do it against LaSalle, it's still, you know, par for the course. This is what we should see. And I'm still left wondering, can they do that against a Shunii in the Bonnies come tournament time? And I, it, it, that's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to disrespect LaSalle. It's just, this is, I'm trying to, this is a game that we should yeah. see them dominate because Okoro was able to do it a, a couple weeks ago. Linson's back to healthy. That's a big thing. Those guys need to come out, and at this point, it's a confidence factor. Those guys need to come out and show that, you know, that was a rough game against a good team, but, you know, tighten up the rotations and, and you know, make sure you're helping correctly and things like that. that. Those are the big issues. You can get better in these kind of games, but I'm talking more of as, as a big picture of looking towards the conference tournament where, 
best case, you know, best case scenario, you're probably going to have to play, you know, a Davidson um, or a St. Bonaventures, you know, in, in the semifinals or finals, if you're lucky. Did you get a feel today on whether Travis, the staff, the players made more references to St. Bonaventure or to LaSalle? It was all, it was, it, it was all towards LaSalle, you know, good. It, it, good. It, the only references to St. Bonaventure were the ones that we were making, uh, you know, in the pregame, in the pre-practice questions, gotcha. uh, tr- trying to get some answers. It was, it was all a hundred percent towards LaSalle. Um, you know, there were obviously some references and things they were focusing on in practice that were kind of, you know, mantras built out of, um, you know, maybe some mistakes or things that they were missing in the St. Bonaventure game. But, you know, it was 100%. This is our game plan against LaSalle. This is what LaSalle does and doesn't do. This is what we have to do against them. Um, and so I think – and that's the thing. is I'm, I'm not – Travis Ford is certainly not thinking, um, you know, if we dominate against LaSalle, that's not good enough. I don't know if we can beat the, the Bonnies. That's not his thought process. His thought process no. is – if we can get better every every practice, every game, that's huge. And with this team, Fred Thatcher uh, alluded to this, and, Fred, and and Travis Ford also talked about it too. This is a rough schedule for this team. You know, it is hard to learn new things when it's game flight practice, game practice. You know, day off finally. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough to it's really tough for them to, to learn new things right now with the schedule that they've been faced with. So, you know, for for them, if the big men go out and dominate against LaSalle, you know, that's that's a feather in the cap that Travis Ford's gonna say, we're building on something here and and but you know, I'm I'm a negative I'm I'm a cynic, so here I am. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna throw a curve at you real quick before we go to the NBA. Um you know there there's more and more talk that for only the second time and I a fact checker can get me on this, but there's a, a a real scare running through the Atlantic 10 that they might, that there'll only be a one, a one bid league. That'd only be the second time I think in the last 25 years. And as a mid-major honk and an Atlantic 10 honk and a Billiken honk, for sure, it is a little bit alarming. And um, you wonder if it's something the league will have you know, I haven't gone back and done all the research. Usually the way you try to ensure that is have a great non-conference schedule and win games in it. We've talked about it in the past. The Billikens had a great schedule. They got one great win, but not a lot. And, you know. Um, That's the story of the entire A-10, uh, yeah. this year's conference schedule. And, and we talked about it because there had already been some games in the A-10's non-conference schedule that they had kind of, not been able to take advantage of, you know, really that, that first week that we started the podcast. And, you know, one of our very first topics was, you know, is this still a two-bid you know, or even three-bid league, or is it, as so many people fear, are going to be a one-bid league this season? And unfortunately, they didn't, you know, those that trend that started early off in the season continued through the non-conference schedule. And now, you know, officially, if you look at the projections – we're talking about, you know, it, it being a one-team league, you know, the conference tourney winner, and that's it. And for those who don't follow it, like us nerds, um, when you look at the net rankings or any of the other rankings, if you want. Which Davidson was solidly kind of in the projected tournament team thing but, on, on its own for the majority of the season. But they've kind of slipped back. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they've, they've completely slipped back. There's, I don't think there's anybody right now above, no. that, above that threshold where Davidson and, was for a long time. In St. Bonaventure – was expected to be, and I talked to, um, I'll just say I talked to somebody with the program. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. 
they talked about that the players finally had to have a meeting and they that they'd kind of uh, uh, admitted to each other they had senioritis and weren't having fun. And that's great that they came to the realization and they're playing really good basketball now, but all the games count on your resume. That's the problem with the whether it's a late realization of how we have to play St. Bonaventure or for whatever reason, this was a group that was slow to recover from reeling at the Javante Perkins loss, reimagining who they had to be offensively and trying to figure out for two and a half months who they really were being, meaning the Billikens, you know, we can, we can document where all these teams are and where they could have been. But the point of fact is the game's, for several teams in the league kind of slip through their fingers, but they count. And you might be playing St. Bonaventure's clearly playing in an NCAA tournament level. Yeah. Probably, probably a top 25 level as we sit here today. And I don't think they're going to lose any more games. Yeah, I really I, don't. I, and I imagine they're starting five. If you, if you take away everything else, they're starting five has to grade out as one of like the best in like college basketball just because yeah. they're, they're and, damn good and they play the entire game. That's how they're winning. If they win the rest of the regular season games and get to the A-10 championship and come in second, just for conversation's sake, um, would that be enough to get in? I, I don't know if the rankings can jump that much because this – and one of the reasons I'm saying they can win their games, they're playing great, but the soft part of the schedule is coming. So how much will it actually help in the, in the numerics, in the metrics? And likewise, Davidson, you know, what that's, are they going to do? That's a great point. Um, I was actually talking to that because I, I brought up Davidson, me and, me and uh, Stu Durando, the writer for the Post-Dispatch, does a great job. We, a great were talk, job. we were talking about it, and I brought up, you know, I, I was like, you know, what if Davidson wins out? And, you know, he brought up a great point, which made up, talk about a soft schedule. Davidson, Davidson's schedule for the rest of their conference is, is pretty much cake. And yeah. so, you know, outside of like maybe one or two games. And so, you know, is that enough, you know, like, like you're saying with St. Bonaventure, is that enough for Davidson with a second place finish in the tournament, assuming a loss? Because obviously the entire thing is how do we get two teams as how do we get two A-10 teams in there? Is that enough for Davidson to just get their bid? And then obviously whoever is the conference tournament winner, I'm not sure because again, it's such an easy schedule on the back end. Yeah, so if Davidson is going to get in as a, as a second place as a, as a uh, uh, championship finalist, but not a winner, they got to beat the Billikens this Saturday. They got to beat them. If they lose to the Billikens at home, they're toast. Then they, uh, if they do that, then the only way, the only path, it's like we're talking about presidential deal the only path we got to get these states they got to they got to you got to win you, you got to win the tournament and every, yeah. every each team has to think we've got to win the tournament now yeah. i still think if davidson can beat the billikens and obviously i'm rooting against that and i think if the billikens are making shots um late afternoon on saturday it could be a wild shootout i Man, I don't want to jinx it. Should I say what I think could happen? Are you a jinx guy or are you normal? Um, 
Uh, hey, I well, I'll save it for Thursday. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a jinx guy. Let's save um, it for Thursday. Only because, as you're somebody who, who knows, I, I have a one of my side gigs is um, I, I call the ambush games. And the other day, uh, we had the great Mark Moser step in and do a quarter because it was alumni night. Nice. Um, when Mark nice. Mos- when Mark Moser was in for alumni night that quarter, the ambush outscored their opponent five to one. The other three quarters, when I was on the call, the ambush were outscored seven to one. Well, who was the one that pulled Moser from the broadcast? Who made that call? He was. Uh, it was a, the schedule, and then they gave it back to me, and then they, we, we we went from being up two to losing to losing the lead and losing in overtime. Well, so that's an, or- that's right an, now, that's an right, organizational error. Right now, my broadcasting is a little bit cursed, so I say hold back. All right, I'll hold back. Anyway, that's that's for our next podcast on Thursday. Anyway, so um, they have, they have Saint their their schedule is bookended by St. Louis and Dayton, but then Duquesne, Fordham, and George Mason. Those that's three wins right there, and 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 so obviously you know the St. Louis win if it happens, obviously we hope it doesn't, but that's kind of been diminished if you're looking at it from the Davidson point of view, because all of a sudden you know St. Louis is ten po- positions back from where they were, uh, you know, on Thursday night or Friday morning a week ago, yeah. So I mean, even that one kind of hurts them a little bit. And then, but they would have to, I mean, they did, they can't lose to the, to the cupcakes. No offense to the lower rung. You'll get your chance. You'll recruit. Okay. I'm not trying to insult anybody. The facts are you're the, you are what your, what your record says you are, right? Yeah. We're not being rude. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying that means Davidson has to beat SLU and Dayton. If they think they can get an at large. Yep. And And if they do that, if they do that, maybe some, you know, it's not a rule that the committee has to go by the metrics. They can go with the hot teams and things like that. Unfortunately, you are, you are correct about that. But, but the Billikens, yeah, but there's too much goofiness in the metrics. I saw our That's friend, we, you know, who we got to get on, meaning you've got to call him, is John Rothstein. I think he had a stat. And I will. I'll get. I'll get it all messed up. But somebody like Iowa, or somebody hasn't had a quad one win all year yet. They're still 19th in one of the metrics, and somebody else has like four of them, and they're like back in the 40s. Or he, he, he just, you know, his his line: anarchy, no college basketball. Um, so, so I think the metrics are a good tool, but for and I pour over them every day. I every day I look at them. So. I'm that nerd, but I also know that if you just said, okay, I'll take these 64 because that's how they're lined up metrically, that's a mistake. That is a mistake. Fair enough. Okay. So it's almost all-star break time in the NBA. What do we got in the midweek here that is uh, peaking, P-I-Q-U-E-I-N-G. No, it's spelled wrong. Anyway. What's piquing your curiosity? What's 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 got you going? Uh, if you up for some late night basketball tonight, Clippers Suns. Um, so I, I think Clippers are an interesting bottom rung uh, West team at this point. Uh, obviously, with some of the injuries they've had to deal with, but nonetheless, they can still be a little bit dangerous. But you're watching that one because the Suns are again are the best team in the NBA right now. Uh, even with some of the trades that have been made, I still think the Suns are the best team. Um, uh, weirdly, I, it, there's this weird narrative that Chris Paul is the best player in the Suns. Uh, watch their games and then please, please weigh in on your opinion there because I, I think people who say that are crazy. Um, I think Devin Booker is 
clearly the best well, player on, is clearly the best player on that team. There are people who are saying that Chris Paul, if they would have won that finals, Chris Paul should have been the MVP and, and things like that. And I just I think that even the Bubble Suns, you know that that year with the co- with the COVID changes and everything like that, the run they made on, I th- I still think that. Devin Booker is the most important player in that franchise, and I, I think he's criminally underrated in a weird way for somebody who's always on national television. As you know, I'm anti-semantic, but we can get into the semantics of this. Who's the MVP? Who makes who makes them run? Who's the best player? Um, what was the other one you just used a second ago? Um, uh, you, you can use all those things yeah. to talk, and, and so – um, again, you don't want to get into semantics, but what do we mean? Would they be nearly as good without either one? Of course not. So, you know, is uh, is Booker the best scorer? That's clearly true. Does he do more than that? Does Paul enhance not only Booker, but everybody else around him? Does that give him value? Um you know, some people say, well, who'd win if they played one-on-one, which is a silly argument. I'm just saying there's so many different – how you couch that, um, I try not to get too caught up into those things. And that's why it's a fantastic argument because I can throw it out there and you can tell me I'm wrong, and then I can tell you, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I like him better. But no, I'm just saying, if you if you if you're gonna watch some late night NBA, watch that game tonight. And heck, let me let me know what you think. Who who you really think is the most important player in that team, or just or just get you know get me, get at me on, on Twitter. I uh, you can tweet at me at Rocky ESPN. Um, and let me know what you think about that game because I just it, it, I think it's an interesting way that people look at basketball, especially nowadays with with the distributor like Chris Paul and then somebody like like Devin Booker who has this weird stigma. And this is what I honestly think it gets to. He has a weird stigma that he puts up meaningless stats on a bad team, and it's like he was the leading scorer on a team that went to the finals. So I don't know what he's supposed to do at this point, but it still right. seems like he has that weird stigma. It's fi- I mean, it, it, it was five years ago that he scored 70 points in a game. I mean, the guy's an insane score. And, and you know, if you're like Rammer or especially Earl Austin jr. And you like a mid range game, the guy, I think out of spite takes 15, like 12 <laughs> footers a game just to piss people off. Um, but no, looking f- go ahead. No, and, and so, um, isn't it funny? I think um, it's this is unscientific, but it seems like NBA media and fans, not so much the writers that cover it, but the talking heads like us, the sports yackers, the sports yellers on all different outlets. It seems like those that yak about the NBA have the highest percentage of haters than people that cover any other sport uh yeah that's that's accurate yeah it's be, it, it's a weird yeah it's because people take really hard opinions in the nba i don't know why it is um also, instead of just loving the game also you, you for some somehow you didn't mention my favorite tv show of all time sports shouting uh with uh sports shouting <laughs> sports shouting <laughs> uh, that's one of my that was, favorite that, one that, of my favorite like shows you didn't like it on nbc <laughs> No, not quite. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. The NBA is a weirdly the way the NBA is covered because, like, the NBA also I think has the most like, uh, like developed nerd community even more so than uh, the NFL, huh. where it's just like an insane amount of people who are like, here's my thirty minute breakdown of how the Suns use 
uh, Spain pick and rolls, and it's like, Jesus, Lord Almighty, this is an insane amount of work for somebody who does not work for any team, and I respect it so much because I watch those videos. Because that's you. Because that's me, and I and I love those videos, and the, and I respect the hell out of them. Um, but looking forward to some of the other games here as we go into the All Star break. Uh, Thursday, so not a lot tonight, which is good because you're going to be watching St. Louis play uh, LaSalle. But on Thursday, we get two really awesome games right before. Um, the all-star break, which is heat Hornets, which is a great, um, the first, the first seed in the East against the eighth seed in the East, ninth seed in the East, ninth seed in the East. I always forget what it is now with the playoff change. Hornets, one of the best offenses in the league, the heat, one of the best teams in the league right now. That's going to be a fun match up. Anytime you can watch LaMelo ball, do it. And then the big one, 76ers bowls. Or sorry, 76ers Bucks, excuse me. That's going to be a fun one to watch, obviously. The 76ers, the new look. James Harden getting back in shape. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. Joel Embiid, I think he's on a, an MVP-level tear right now. Yeah. And then, obviously, just the kind of dichotomy in the East, and this is kind of my bigger point, which is where is the East going to go here in the second half? The Heat are leading right now, but these are the, this is the standing right now in the East first through 10 because now you have 10 because of the play-in tournament thing. It goes the Heat, then the Chicago Bulls, the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I don't think people are realizing. The Cavaliers are one of the best defensive teams in the league, and they are third in the East, and the East is the better conference this year. This is no BS what the Cavaliers are doing. Then you get to the 76ers, the Bucks. The Celtics, who are going on a little run as well, backed up by an incredible defense. And then you get into Toronto, Brooklyn, Charlotte, and then um, the Hawks, who are uh, tied with them. So it's just it's insane how deep the East is now. When we're talking about Toronto, who's now got Pascal Siakam back, it, it is you know the seventh seed. Boston, like I said. With Devin, with Derek White, the trade with the Spurs, they now have this ridiculously strong defensive backcourt. Plus, Jason Tatum keeps on playing well. Uh, he, also, yeah. he also said the St. Louis Rams are going to win the Super Bowl, so I love him even more. Um, and then again, you have the fact that the Bucks and the 76ers, who some would argue with Embiid, Harden, and with Giannis, are the two best teams in the East, or should be. They're, should be. They're at fourth and fifth. And then yeah. an, an upstart Cleveland Cavaliers team is in the third. Uh, spot right now in the East. So that's not how it's going to end. Second half of the NBA is always different than the first half, just like the playoffs are different than the entire regular season. But nonetheless, the East is shifted. This is kind of a fun thing about the NBA. The East dominates for a while. The end, the West takes over. It goes back and forth and back and forth. Well, it was the West for about 10, 15 years. It is now firmly, I believe, in the East. While the best team is in the West, and while you still have a very good hierarchy of the yeah, they're top four or five. The yeah. Suns and the and the Grizzlies. The East is the that's the one to watch here in the second half. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens with these big trades. What do the Nets do? What do the Sixers do? Do the Bucks just keep you know kind of you know cruising along, knowing they're the champs and they they can kick it into full gear in the playoffs? And are the Heat and the Bulls legit as the number one and two seed? It's great that it finally flipped. The East is fun again, and I can't wait for the second half of the NBA season. You know the e, I think it's more of a uh, sort of a hardcore fan look at games when you're talking about Cleveland, Chicago, and Miami, who are great teams and may end up finishing at the very top. But to me, the stories to follow are why aren't the Bucks winning and dominating? I mean, they're winning, but why aren't they dominating at the top? And then the drama, and then the drama of the two trades, or, or of the trade between Philly and I think Brooklyn 
And we might get sick of it if they go on a run because being in New York will be inundated. But at least for a while, it would be a tremendous story if um, Brooklyn kind of figures it out with all the drama they've had even before the trade and get it going. So there could be some good stories coming out of this run. Again, I would guess right now that, yeah, there's not a single team that finishes in the same spot where they are at the end of the season. There's not a single team in the East right now that finishes where they are now. Not a single one of them stays in the same spot. The Heat will drop down to two or three. The the Cavaliers will drop down a little bit. The only one I think potentially stays where they are is I think the Bulls might remain as the number two spot because I think maybe the Bucks, the 70, or the 76ers jump up to the number one team in the East. But honestly, I think the entire East standings right here before the All-Star break are completely different than they are at the end of the season. Well, we'll see. I'd like to bet you, but I'm not going to take that bet because it's too crazy. Fair enough. And too many changes. Um, well, Rock, good stuff. We um, will reconvene Thursday night, probably in between the two Billiken games. And then maybe we can do an all-star preview as well, uh, NBA all-star preview. So, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. It's the two-man game on Claves Online. That is Matt Rocchio, who does all the work. I'm Bob Ramsey, sports shouting. And uh, – uh, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us on Claves Online. St. Louis Acura was the number one Acura dealer in Missouri in 2021, and we were the 17th in the nation for Acura sales volume. We sell over 100 pre-owned vehicles monthly, and we service all of the makes and models that we sell. We are waiting for verification of our 30th Acura Precision Team Award, the only dealer in the nation with so many awards for customer satisfaction and dealership performance. We have 300 pre-owned vehicles in stock right now. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.